This is the Context Podcast, sponsored by Geist Interactive. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Hey folks, we're back. It's been a few weeks since we've talked with you about FileMaker. I'm energized and inspired and have worked hard to get a whole series of great guests lined up for you to talk about our wonderful platform. So this feed and the Origin Stories episodes are back in full swing. Though we're still quarantined in places and working from home, use this podcast to remind you to get out and walk and listen. In today's episode, Todd and I talk about Claris Engage 2020. We meander over topics relating to the whole event, auto-enter, and the sessions in which we took part. Of course, along the way, Todd has some good thoughts about such things as no-code, low-code, and pro-code. We even talk more about add-ons, and I speak a bit more about my JavaScript learning path. However, for some reason, we forgot to mention my Claris Engage on-demand session that is now available in the Claris Academy. It is titled Solving FileMaker Use Cases with JavaScript Libraries. In a future episode of this podcast, I'll talk through the videos, but please take some time and review the seven libraries that I survey that build rich interfaces for your clients. All right, I guess let's bring in Todd now. Here we go. Hey, Todd. So uh, Claris Engage was just a couple, uh, last week. How are you feeling about Engage? Um, it's, it was it was definitely very interesting. I mean, nobody knew what to yeah. expect, and <laughs> and uh, you know, there's we we got a lot more participation than we normally do at an in person event. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. I, I, have you recovered? Like, did did you feel even more tired or less tired yeah. or the same tired? As I wasn't as tired because okay. I, I got more sleep. Okay. Um, I did get more sleep than if I was at the event and hanging out till all hours. Um, yeah. But, uh, and it was shorter too, you know, I mean, yeah. when we do the in-person stuff, it's usually a good, good four or five days, pretty hardcore. Uh, whereas this one, this was really only two days. So, um, wow. so yeah, I wasn't as tired. Um, yeah. I missed the in-person event. Yeah. Uh, you know, we tried to put some together with auto enter, which I thought went pretty well and people seem yeah. to enjoy that. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said you got a lot of sleep, you got more sleep, but our friends in the UK or Australia, yeah. they're, they're probably cursing at you right now because <laughs> I, I talked to Jordan Watson recently and they're all, his team is recovering from <laughs> the event, the late nights and early mornings. So yeah, cause they had to be up pretty, pretty late. It, that's the one problem with having a virtual event is that you really, the, you know, the time zone issue is just unavoidable. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're on a big round globe and time, you know, daylight is different. You can't avoid that when you have a, when you have a virtual event. Um, so, you know, I think everybody would prefer that we do this in person once it's oh. safe to do so. So hopefully we'll be able to do that next year. So let's just talk about this. Uh, this was Claris Engage. It was the very first one and we were hoping that it was going to be in Nashville. Um, uh, we were all excited for something new. Um, yeah. back in January, they did a call for speakers and we talked with Rosemary about all the new things that were coming to Claris Engage. And then, Unfortunately, Claris International, they got hit with this, having to change things mid-planning mid stage, right? Yeah. They kind of had to throw out all their plans and start over. Yep, uh, just like pretty much everybody else, you know, <laughs> yeah, around the globe was having to do. But the, uh, but the online format wasn't too bad. We, we mentioned the time difference. Um, yeah. what, what, other, what, what, what else did you like about this online-only format? Well, I think the, I think the, the nice parts 
are that so many more people can can actually see a talk, right? Yeah. Even in the largest rooms, you had maybe five hundred people at a um, at an in, at a in person, maybe a little more. But you know, here some of the talks had more than two thousand people, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So that's nice. I think the the live chat stream we had going in Auto Enter was pretty cool, yep. and uh, that that was a lot of fun just to kind of hang out and chat with people as the thing was going on, which you can't do when you're in a room. You can't, we couldn't be having a conversation with everybody like that while we're watching, you know, the keynote or whatever. So uh, I like that part. I think that was, that was nice having that sort of ongoing conversation about what was going on on stage and people can answer questions like right within real time almost. Uh, so that was cool. At one point, I think someone on the, in the, auto enter chat. We'll talk about that in a minute, but they, uh, they, um, uh, observed that one of the panelists was actually reading the auto enter comments as he was talking on the panel, on the live <laughs> panel. So, yeah, I guess that could be a good thing too. You know, the, the panelists can see what we're talking about and adjust their, their answers to fit, you know, to yeah. answer our questions. So, yeah. I it. mean, you know, there's, there's, I think you just, I think you, there are different strengths and weaknesses from each format in person and virtual. And I think, um, you know, we'll probably see in the future that we do, we kind of lean into each of those things. Like I doubt there'll always be some virtual aspect to, to engage from here on out. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, and they'll, that'll be good. But the in-person stuff, um, definitely has its advantages. I mean, I enjoy speaking much more in person than I do, um, you know, just to my monitor, which is what yeah. I had to do for this one. Yeah. You know, I had to speak for 30 minutes without any feedback. I had no idea if anybody could even hear me. I mean, it's a little odd. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's, I prefer speaking in person. Um, it's much more fun. You can, you can engage with the audience and, and, I, um, you know, I told Rosemary to get a, a clap, an applause track for your yeah. time. Yeah. You put it in there every once in a while, but no. <laughs> yeah. you know what? Other than your session, other than your 30 minutes, I don't really recall anything that was in FileMaker itself, right? The rest of, other than what you did, the rest of what was there was just panels. What do you well, think about that? Stuff. They did like, uh, they did some stuff on Connect and okay, you know, Louie did some demos. Um, okay. So there was a few other things. Do you, there weren't that many sessions, so we didn't, yeah. there was only one session at a time. I think there was, what, maybe 12 total, maybe? Um total session. So not that many, uh, six, six per day, I think, or maybe eight per day. So this online stuff, do you think it lent itself better towards the panels or would they, would it have been nicer to see some more in FileMaker demos? Like, you know, like we've had before. Um, I, I think the demos are great and uh, I certainly like doing them live there. And again, you know, I, I can only speak for myself personally when it comes to presenting on this stuff, but but I, I like um, one of two ways, either pre-recorded and completely polished uh, and, or totally live and off, you know, basically just, you know, making it all work on the fly kind of thing. I, in the middle, which is what we had here, it's, it's much more challenging for, for me anyway. Uh, mm. And, I, you know, so I really hope we get back to in-person stuff with more. I mean, I certainly would like to do more technical, you know, coding and things like that. I yeah. enjoy that. And I think the, I think, I think the audience enjoys it when, when I'm able to do that. So, and that's just a lot, that's just harder to do 
when you don't have an audience. Because like when you're coding live, which is one of my favorite things to do, you rely on the audience. Sometimes you miss a semicolon or or you, you know, you don't type something right and the audience will call out, right? And they'll tell you, oh, I did this, whatever. And if you have no feedback, like, and you're trying to do that over a virtual thing, there's really, you have, you know, you have no hope of getting bailed out by the, bailed out by the audience. You just have to struggle and hope you can eventually figure it out. So, so um, the panels were good. I mean, it was definitely a different format. Um, They kind of, I don't know if these panels were scheduled before the COVID-19, you know, caused us to have to stay indoors. Were you, did you know you were going to be doing the, your parts of these sessions well before March? All, all I knew is that I was going to be participating in some way. I didn't know okay. what that would be. Um, so they just asked me to kind of, you know, be ready to participate, but I really didn't know anything. Didn't okay. know what, what it was going to be until just really a couple of weeks before I, got to get some inkling of what, what, what I was going to be doing. So, I mean, they had to, you know, switch course in the middle of this and, and prep, you know, this whole new structure overall. I mean, this was Britta's first engage and I think yeah. she was like overseeing uh, quite a lot of it. It, it actually went really well. I was, I was pretty surprised at not surprised, but it just felt smooth. You know, the, there were some video issues once in a while. If you got over a thousand people, yeah. that's not Clarice's fault, but nothing broke down in the middle of a session, right? Yeah. We didn't have any issues with that. So, yeah, no, I think, I think, it's, well, they also, you know, I think that's why they scaled it back just to keep it manageable because not yeah. knowing, you know, what you're going to face first time in, you want to, you want to make sure you're not dealing with, um, you know, just not knowing what's going to happen and being overwhelmed with trying to, trying to do too many things. Mm-hmm. So I think that was smart. Um, I think that, that was smart to do that, to kind of scale it back, make it smaller, uh, not, not do any kind of vendor trade show or anything like that. It would have been just very hard to do, uh, to pull all that stuff off. So, so we like it. Uh, I really hope they don't go all virtual next year. I yeah. assume this is cheaper to do. You know, I think Andy, like Kate said, they're, you know, they're not making any money, but they're, they're, they weren't spending a whole lot, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. So, um, this is, I, I hope it's not too tempting for companies yeah. to go all virtual. No, I don't. I, I, I think people, people will, will want to go back, but I think it is going to be forever changed. Okay. I think there will be a virtual component to all these things from here on out. Huh. I think, um, I just think, uh, you know, that, uh, this whole crisis, the pandemic is an accelerator. It's accelerating trends, which are already happening. And okay. so things that might've taken a decade or more, now going to take a year, you know, or less. And so I just, uh, virtual has a lot of benefits. Um, a big one being, being the economics of it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to fight economics. Like Mm -hmm. when something's cheaper, it's cheaper. (laughs) And it's really, you have to, you, you know, if you, you have to be way better to, to overcome cheaper. Uh, and, and you certainly can, and I think they can, and I think they will have in-person events. They're definitely, I think, I, I think are, are worth doing, but I, but I don't think you can deny that there were a lot of people who this was their first ever, you know, DevCon or Claris Engage. They'd never been able to go before. Mm-hmm. And so that is something you just can't ignore. You really can't ignore that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm sure we agree with this, but a lot, a lot of 
heads of development shops that I've talked to have said, yeah, hey, I didn't have to spend any, any money to send yeah. my people to engage, right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's really appealing too. I hope it doesn't, I hope people don't go, well, you know, last year I didn't spend any money. I really don't want to go this year. You know what I'm if, saying? If it's worth going, people will go. You can only avoid dealing with economics for so long. <laughs> Eventually it comes and gets you. So if it's valuable, uh, then people will do it. And if yeah. it's not, they won't. And that'll be that. But I, I think it is. I think it is. And I think it will yeah. be. So, so I expect we'll be back. But I don't think it. But I do think there will be a virtual component from here on out. Well, a couple of things about that. Number one, you mentioned it, it should be better bef- than before. So, you know, COVID-19, this whole virtual experience has changed this forever, changed it. Yeah. And hopefully it's changing it for the better where yeah. next year's sessions, next year's conference is just out of the out of the park, just spectacular in every way. Um, yeah, that and uh, maybe, you know, if there are some virtual uh, sessions like there are this year, the on-demand sessions as well, maybe as well as a combination of that and um, and in, in-person sessions, maybe there's a chance for more people to speak and to have their voices heard at uh, Claris well, Engage. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, well. I hope they're listening because we have some good ideas about that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so overall, I mean, it was, it was great. I know that the Claris team, Rosemary and Steve Romig and, and all those people were just like working. Sherry Martinez, they were working around the clock to get this to go. And, and it, it really went pretty well. Um, Steve Romig worked on the on-demand sessions and got, is getting those posted every week here. So pretty good. I'm, I'm, they did, they did good with this. So. Hey folks, it's Jeremy here again to remind you that our Claris Engage 2020 sale is still going on. That's right. From now until August 14th, 2020, you can receive 20% off of all of our add-ons and dev tools, add-ons such as LedgerLink and GoZinc, for example. Whether you're buying a new license or renewing your old license, you'll receive this amazing once a year discount. And if you're listening to this after August 14th, 2020, just know that the sale was pretty awesome. Here's the deal. Our products are professional development tools and add-ons for the FileMaker developer. As Todd says in this episode, he tries to build stuff to make it as easy as possible for him to get stuff done. And that's reflected in our products. That's why LedgerLink can connect to a QuickBooks online account very quickly, or why FM Perception gives us real-time intelligence into our database files. Auto? My goodness, have you worked with Auto? That dev tool does so much work for you, so you can just schedule a migration, click a button, and let that migration happen for any number of files while you go and get coffee or relax. You don't have to do very much to make this happen. Our dev tools are high quality and highly supported by the Geist Interactive team. So if you have an issue with Auto, Dave Graham or Jason or Todd will help you out. Barbara is the one you talk with about LedgerLink, and FM Perception, well, you know. Dave Ramsey is up all hours helping people out. So act fast. There's only a few days left to partake in this very rare discount. Pick up FM Perception, and you'll wonder how you developed, or dare say I live, without it. Oh, and guess what? FM Perception comes with a companion product free for FM Perception licensed users. It's called FM Comparison. This diff tool will tell you all that's different between an original file and its modified version. Come on, since FM comparison is in beta, you can help find the bugs and suggest changes. I'm sure Dave Ramsey 
is listening and will hear what you have to say. So act fast. This sale lasts only through Friday, August 14th, 2020. Yes, please. Yeah, let's talk about that. So auto enter was just a kind of a, I just woke up one day feeling like really bummed out that we weren't going to be able to have any way to interact with all the people that we've been hanging out with in, you know, at various dev cons and in the future engages. And it just really kind of made me sad, you know, and we're all stuck at home and I just really didn't want that to be the case. And then also the trade show is pretty important to vendors and there wasn't going to be any trade show as part of, as part of this year's engage. And I totally understood Stan, why, why Clara decided not to do it. Um, but it's a pretty important part. And I just, I just wanted to see if there was something that we could do to, um, to make that, to, you know, to bring everybody together and give the vendors an opportunity, a place where they could try to sell and talk about their products to, to people who gathered. So that's what it was. So auto enter was the name we came up with, which was I think kind of clever. We had a Slack channel, auto enter.slack.com. And then we had a web page, which kind of, which kind of served as the hub, if you will, of it and listed all the vendors who were participating and links directly into their Slack channel so they could, you know, go and visit their visit vendors they wanted to ask questions of. We also had this really cool dimensional audio chat thing where it's a big room you could, two dimensional room you could drop into and talk to people. And it was really kind of fun. You could wander around and, and drop into different conversations. And that was, that was, that, that was pretty yeah. fun. So we set all that up and the, the webpage was, was interesting to build. So that, was using FileMaker to pull data from Slack. So it, it pulled all of the channels from Slack. And then there was some additional data in the FileMaker database that we merged with that. And then the data, the, the web page itself was generated, um, stat, was statically generated uh, based on visitors. So when a, somebody visited the page, they got the last version of it that had already been cached. And then it would trigger a, a new version to be to be created. And it would only do that if it hadn't been visited within 15 minutes. So what that meant is, is that the web page was never, the, the, the website did never hit the FileMaker database except once every 15 minutes. So we were able to build a web page that was using FileMaker for data, but it, it could have handled hundreds of thousands of visitors because it would have never, it would have never had to update that web. It would never hit the database except for once every 15 minutes. So that was kind of fun to throw together, and um, Did, so, wasn't that website hosted on the Edge? What what is that? Yeah. So what we mean by that? So there, I don't know if anybody talked about Edge. There might uh, have been. Serini so, did, I think. And yeah. You so edge. edge so what's the Edge? So um, the Edge is another buzzword. But uh -huh. what it means is you want, if you can do, especially on the internet, if you want to pull assets like code or images or things like that. For across the internet to a computer, like when a web browser visits a web page, ideally those assets are closer to that browser um, than farther away. They'll, they'll load faster. And so that is a content. So that the thing that solves that problem is a content delivery network. And that is basically that the assets, so the code for the web page, the images are all pushed out to, you know, dozens to hundreds of edge edges of the network all around the world so that when somebody connects you pull those images and that that code from the from the data center that's nearest to you as opposed to where your database might be for example 
And then you can also do computing on the edge. So they have the newer platforms will let you run like little snippets of code, like Lambda functions and things, but run them closer to where the user is. So if you're running in an edge in an edge network or with edge computing, edge CDN, the person who's visiting your site isn't doesn't have to go very far to do calculations or to get assets. And so that's what this site did is it published all of its assets to, to a CDN. And then uh, what's not widely talked about is that a browser is really an edge computer. So when you open your browser, that is a JavaScript runtime engine that is running and doing computation on the edge. It just happens to be the edge that you are on. So anyway, that's what that means. That's what edge computing means, or that's what means that's what um, being on the edge means is being having your code or your assets as close to the person using them as possible. And okay. so the auto enter web page did that. That's how we built it. So we can build it. It's uh, uh, you know it just you just have to know how to get these things set up and how to do it. It's not. It's not, I mean, this is sort of becoming more and more common these days to do this kind of stuff. But anyway, it's an example of a, of a, of a web page, which really could have taken a beating um, and, and not have impacted the FileMaker server really at all. Yeah. So, so the, the whole auto enter then Slack channel was put together. Yep. How many people ended up showing up uh, I think after the, all? I, think, I don't know, seven, 800, something like that. Yeah. There yeah. were uh, 30, over 30 vendors, I think had, had channels or booths. And um, yeah, we had about, I think, seven or 800 people. And uh, it was really fun to be in the Slack channel while the <laughs> while the sessions were going on and just the sort of live stream of everybody's thoughts about what was being said. <laughs> that was that was nuts. Um, I noticed that when when Clay was talking, he <laughs> he mentioned tickling the server. The I don't know what he said, but that kind of oh, yeah. caused a huge reaction. Yeah. <laughs> He actually then had to clear, had to, he realized he should be more careful with his words. He he posted on Facebook after that, but it, it seemed like even the people that were presenting clay, um, I think Brad saw it. I think, you know, Jordan, you, Chris, they all were kind of tuned in to the, to the Slack channel even before or after. And it seemed like it helped them out a little bit. Maybe they, I think so. I I think they were, you know, we didn't really coordinate this. Yeah. But Claris, once we were sure we would pull it off, I notified them that we were going to do it. And, you know, I was a little nervous. I wasn't sure whether they would be happy or sad about it, but, but a bunch of, bunch of Claris people participated and every one of them thought it was great. As far as I know, I didn't hear any negative feedback from, any of the Claris people from, from, um, that were there from, you know, from, from Andy and Rosemary were there and, and, um, Brad was there. I mean, it was great. So, uh, yeah. I think they all felt it was a good thing and people mostly behaved themselves, which was really great. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was a huge success and I would expect that, that will, you know, they seem to really like it, the Claris people. And I, I expect that they'll be looking at some way to get that kind of feel going for future events. So I thought, if we did nothing else with auto enter, we kind of helped maybe shape a little bit of what the future of these kinds of events might be. You mentioned the stream of consciousness and and that's definitely true. I actually saw people on the, the threads commenting. They loved being able to talk real time rather than whispering to their yeah. neighbors. And the fact that this channel amplified their voice, not just to the people sitting around them, but to everybody in the channel. Right. So yeah, 
there was a lot of good that came out of that. It was a little distracting, I have to say, listening <laughs> listening to the the speakers and trying to follow what was happening. But yeah. overall, it was a good experience. It was it was fun and exciting and a little bit uh, frenetic, I guess, for the for lack of a better word. Yeah, I um, thought it, I thought it was I thought overall it was a success. You know, I, um, it uh, it it met it exceeded my expectations for what I didn't have a lot of expectations for it. Yeah. It exceeded my expectations. A lot of positive feedback. People really appreciated it. A lot of people wanted me to leave it up um, after <laughs> it was over. And uh, I had to sadly let them know that actually I wasn't sad about it. I, I never planned to leave it up. It was always my plan to, to, to take it down. Yeah. Uh, part of it was privacy issues. I didn't want anybody to worry that we were going to be harvesting emails or, you know, taking this information and using it in some way that was nefarious. Um, so part of it was that, but also there's something, I mean, this is an event, it's transient. It doesn't go on forever. It goes on for a defined period of time. You know, we, we came, we did our thing and then we packed up and went home. And, and so it just felt right to me that, that the channel itself should also just disappear into memories. Um, and that felt very, that felt much more human to me, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like when things are so digitized, it just becomes easy for things to get turned into assets, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, all of the communication we're having there can be, I don't know, somehow become, I don't know, can be less personal or something if it's captured for, to be poured over later for, I don't you know, business reasons or whatever. I just, I wanted it to be, a, I wanted it to be more like what happens at a trade show where you come, you kick the tires. You don't worry about somebody spying on you or anything like that, you know, and you know that, that, um, you're aware of any time that you exchange information with somebody, you know, it because you participated in the exchange. You didn't, you know, you weren't just harvested, which is really what I didn't want to happen. Okay. Um, so it was good. You mentioned you got a lot of positive feedback from Claris. What did, what did other, what did vendors think of this overall? I don't, I don't think it was as good for vendors as it was for just the general community, but um, but people were, people were happy that we did it. Like it was, it was worth doing, but I, I, it just doesn't, you know, it's not the same as a trade show, a Slack channel and a webpage. It's not the same as a trade show. So there's, there's work to be done there as far as figuring out how to make a trade show virtual, because I think we're going to have to do that in the future. Um, so there's work to be done there, but, um, uh, I didn't get any negative. I mean, I don't think anybody was like, Oh, I can't believe I wasted my time setting up a channel. I mean, it, it was all free. We didn't, charge any money for it. So, um, I don't think anybody was, was bummed about it, but, uh, I'd like to look at, um, I expect we'll see innovation in this space. Uh, how do you do these kind of events in a, in a way that is, there's just an advantage to trade shows really do have an advantage. I mean, they're not like I mean, back when I was first going to trade shows, which was before the internet or pretty much before the internet. Um, they really mattered because there wasn't, you know, you had print magazines was, how you got, we got FileMaker Advisor and there was another one. There was a FileMaker something. There were two. We had two trade mags dedicated to FileMaker. And I then know. there were, you know, the trade shows and that's how you got your information. There weren't, um, that was the only way to get it. The, the web came and that's where you bought stuff too. The web came along and it kind of, it took care of the exchange of casual information and it took care of the shopping cart, but it didn't take care of that layer of, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication or just wandering around and getting a sense of what's happening in an industry or in a, 
you know, field that you get from, from a trade show. And so that's why I think we will be back in some form. It will be back. We'll be doing that. But I do think um, we'll have to come up with some way to kind of try to mirror that in a virtual way as well. So let's, let's talk about your two sessions. You did uh, um, an add-on session with, with people from Clarus, and then you did a panel with, um, with Chris Hippolyte and um, Ernest Coe. Who else was on that panel? Klaus from, Klaus. from, from Datamanx and um, Chris, Ernest, Chris. Klaus. Okay. And As well Robert as and me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Before, so, I'm at, yeah, I got everybody, I think. So the first session was about the add-ons and JavaScript and yeah. execute FileMaker data API script stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this stuff will all be posted by now, so people should go and watch those for a full-on recap. Um, you can get into a lot of detail there, but the the goal was just to kind of paint the picture of of what JavaScript and add-ons are going to do, uh, can do, and are, are beginning to do for the platform. Um, that was sort of the, under the hood. What are the technical steps that are required right now. And, you know, part of it was also just making the point that we're early in this, in this game. Like we've just started with the add-ons um, and even the JavaScript stuff. Uh, it's really brand new and some of it was going to change for sure. It'll change. It'll change very quickly. Um, so, you know, kind of setting up that stage and making, you know, getting everybody sort of aware of what, what's, what's possible now and what might be coming. Um, in the, in the, in the near future in that, in that area. So I, you know, we didn't have a lot of time. It was challenging, um, but yeah. I, I hope people got a lot out of it, a lot of that what? session. So you had 30 minutes to yeah. really demonstrate the power of the add-ons and the, maybe the JavaScript and the, the execute FileMaker data API script stuff. Yeah. What was your like goal in pre preparing your 30 minutes worth of, of work? So the, the goal was to give, was to tell people enough technical details that they could begin to get a picture of how it actually works. Like, so we, we looked at the JavaScript functions, we looked at the data API, and, you know, we ran examples of those. Um, and then we built an add-on. We looked at how the add-on, how it was designed um, and how it was supposed to function. And then we went and built it. So um, obviously there's a, a lot of, detail in there that we just couldn't possibly have time to do in 30 minutes. But that was the point was just to, if there's, you, you know, I, I don't know if there's layers to the, you know, the different nuances you have to know to be to where the stuff get, where you get really good at it. That takes some time, but there's a, a first level of technical details, things that you just need to know to get started. And that was really the goal was to get okay. people started on it, not to, not for them to be able to master it based on that information, but just to kind of get up get a sense of, of what the key pieces were. Key pieces I, like were. That, I like that you um, use the FileMaker execute data API script step. I don't know if it was part of what they wanted you to do, but your, your point of using it was to show people like quote, the new normal way of working with getting results back from your found set of records and pushing it into a JavaScript integration. Yeah. There are two, two things there. Um, the, the, the first one is, is the one that people people initially get excited about once they once they stop asking why can't I just use execute SQL? <laughs> you know, they're like, okay, all right, this is good. So they know how to get data as JSON and that that seems pretty fun. Mm -hmm. But the second part, the the uh, all the metadata stuff is really, really useful. And um, 
You know, the, the key to building add-ons, to building things that you can share is to move it. Like I talked a lot about moving the process of this takes a professional to do it mm-hmm. down to this takes somebody who's like a low coder, somebody who's like maybe an intermediate or just, you're just kind of beginning intermediate all the way down to somebody who's just starting on day one, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if you want, if you want your add-on to work for somebody on day one, that is a different level of effort and requires different techniques than it does if you just want to be able to use it as a pro coder yourself. Okay. So um, that's important to understand that there are differences. And when we get to the marketplace and we get start getting the, getting these things into the marketplace, the products that will be the most valuable to the community and to the people who build them will be the ones that go all the way and make it bring it all the way down to I can use this on day one, at least for the add-ons where that's possible. And that may not be possible for, in all cases, but that's those will be the most valuable add-ons because they will immediately make FileMaker uh, a more powerful platform for new users because they'll be able to use it on day one. Um, and it'll be a much bigger market for the people who are selling it. So it's really important. And the getting metadata um, about the solution is a is a way in which you can help uh, build interfaces. You can you can make your code smarter, either through the use of interfaces or just smarter coding, to figure out what it needs to do, as opposed to get somebody to have to figure it out. Right. So to make the code smart enough to handle itself is really is really what we're going for there. So uh, I'm 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 always surprised at how little people really explore the metadata functions. There's a bunch of them in FileMaker. Uh, they call they're called design functions, uh, and there's also a lot of the get get functions too, and fall into that into that category. But the design functions um, are there, and there's also metadata functions in the API, and there's some in the hidden SQL um, execute SQL stuff. And then now we have this new one with the with the FileMaker script step execute FileMaker data API, and that one had does some things that none of the other ones can. So, um, so that, that was kind of a long answer to that, but I just think it's worth emphasizing. I, I think people should, people, if you're out there interested in building on add-ons, you, you should look into design functions, begin to understand how your code can inspect or introspect its, uh, itself to know what's around it and what things it might be able to connect to. So that's yeah. interesting. You, you talk, you talked about the, the pro code versus the low code to no code and you're, you know, you, you mentioned that people who decide to make something for the marketplace really should invest time into bringing it as close to that no code as possible. That's right? right. You don't, you don't want anybody to have to go into an execute SQL statement and update the the syntax, the sentence, the statement to use their fields. Yeah, no, exactly. But we want to avoid that, and it's yeah. it's been challenging um, uh, to do that in FileMaker. It's getting a little easier now and should be getting a lot easier. So that's really, really, and I thought we, that was emphasized a lot during the session. And I think it's really important because there's a, I talked about this in the wrap up that we did with the two mats and some other things, but I just, I, I can't overemphasize this enough. There's a large discussion about, you know, no code or low code replacing pro code. And that's just not the case. That's just not, it's, that's not what's going to happen here. It's really about making professional coders faster by having to write less code, right? And having to write the code that is most valuable as opposed to the stuff that can be turned into some kind of no-code configuration or or just a quick, you know, a couple of quick changes you make in a, in a low-code type manner. Um, and maybe we should take one second to define 
okay. what I'm what I mean there. And just to use FileMaker as the example, so um, so I would say that pro that professional coding is uh, is custom function in FileMaker terms, custom functions, uh, complex scripting. Um, certainly if you're doing database transactions, extensive graph organization, that's all professional code. Like that's, or if you're using Xcode SQL pro code, right? All the way. If you're writing JavaScript widgets, pro code all the way. Low code would be something more like, um, you know, moving things around on a layout or changing some, some auto hide calcs or conditional calcs, or maybe even, um, you know, defining a field calculation, something that may focus more on calculations or you know, something like that. Uh, and then no code is like, you know, when you, when you configure a portal, uh, I guess you can use portal filters so that there's a little low code in there, but you know, no code is like I drag the field onto the layout and it's just automatically bound to that field. Like I didn't have to do anything to make the field object, which is a separate thing. It's important to understand that the field object you drag onto a layout is not the same as the field. And yet there's the, the, the no code is so strong there that you don't even notice that they're two different things, um, but they are. And so that's, that's where FileMaker has all three of those levels uh, really in it. And that's why it's so good at being at, at working on day one and mm -hmm. working on day, you know, 10,001. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to do a longer podcast episode about that because there is, there's a lot of interesting thing in there. I've never, heard it said before. I don't remember. Is pro code a word that's been around for a while? No, it's just, be, it's just being used in response to the low low code okay. and no code movements. So, okay. All right. um, you know, to, to me as a professional coder, you know, as I think I said in my session, I, I do low code and no code as much as I can. Yeah. And uh, that's the way I want it. I really, the writing uh, pro code is super fun. And I love to write it. But it's also it also takes much longer to get anywhere, right? So if I want to get my job done quickly, I want to be able to take advantage of of any low or no code options that I can get, and in, into carrying out whatever task I'm, I want to carry out. You know, another example might be if you're running your so we run a business, we have we have lots of software systems that we have to integrate, and, and you know, as we don't we don't make any money by integrating our software systems, right? So um, we, it doesn't actually, we don't, we, we, we make money when we sell our time to customers and we sell our products. So I don't really want to be investing a ton of pro code time in my business system. It just needs to work. I need to tweak it from time to time and it just needs to work. Right. So that's kind of what I think that's just, and the other thing is Brad mentioned this and I mentioned it again in the Matt and Matt talk, but I don't think it's, it's well understood the gap between the number of things that code, whether it's no code, low code, or pro code, the number of problems that can be addressed and the number of people who, who, who can address them. And the part of the problem is, is that many of those problems still need professional coders to address. Mm -hmm. So even though we're churning out new, new programmers and people are learning it and stuff like that, it's just not fast enough. If you are in a business, if you're sitting at a desk if that's your job is to sit at a desk and process information from one form to another, which is a huge swath of the economy these days, you're going to be doing some kind of coding. Um, you're just going to be, and likely it'll be, if you're not in the, in the programming related fields, you'll be doing more no code or low code type type stuff. 
And if you're in the programming fields, you'll be doing, you'll be doing more of that. But everybody who is a not, you know, what you might call a knowledge worker will be coding. Um, that's, uh, if we get the tools that will, uh, that will make that possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what's happening right now is people are recognizing that this is, this is the state where we are in the, in the business world. And so things, these no code and low code movements are really aimed at addressing that massive gap between what needs to get done and what we have the capacity to do. Anyway, we've gotten off on a sidetrack there, but I think it's really important. And the advantage that FileMaker has and the Claire's platform has is that it has tools at every level, um, which, is, which is really important okay. to go across the whole, the whole spread. So the point of your add-on time, your 30 minutes, was to to show the pro-code idea of this, getting it down to low-code yeah. to no-code, and just yeah. encouraging us FileMaker developers to consider how much pro-coding they want to do for their add-ons and showing them the tools available for, yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, okay, good. So then uh, you talked a little bit about the JavaScript stuff, but you mm-hmm. actually didn't build an add-on that was based in JavaScript. Nope. I think that was surprising. What, why did you do that? Because I wanted to make the point, because some people think that JavaScript and add-ons are the same thing. Yeah. It's a common misconception. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear, that that wasn't the case. Yeah, you built a, a picker with just yep. FileMaker, a layout, and a, was it a list view or a portal? I don't remember. Just a list view, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it had a little configurator, which I built so that, you know, somebody could uh, very easily use it to, to make a picker um, without having much skill at all, frankly. Did that take a long time to build? Um, I mean, not that long, maybe a it, day. It seems like it was a thing that you might have built for a customer anyway. Well, it certainly built lots of pickers. The, yeah. So the question was, not so much what does a picker do and what are the, some of the things you want to do there. So things like the keystroke stuff I had done oh, before, yeah. right? That was what we needed to do. But how do you get the the result back from the picker? When you select a record, how does that notify or how do you get that to the field that quote unquote you want to insert that ID into? Um, that That's all add-on stuff. So now, okay, so I've got this code that I've written before in sort of a modular way. Now I want to make it, I want to write it as an add-on. So it took a little bit to kind of rethink how that how that got done, but it turned out to be pretty easy. Um, so yeah, just just had to get get that to work, and and then um, it's interesting because you know you built it just with FileMaker objects and mm-hmm. scripting and stuff. It could could it could any FileMaker developer like look at what they've built for a client or for themselves and turn that module that whole piece a piece of it into an add-on well that's certainly what we should be doing is looking to do that in the future Um, it won't always be possible it depends on what kind of thing you're building right if you're building something like a picker which is something that's very gets used over and over again and that's an obvious one Mm -hmm. others may not be as obvious Um, so you just have to look at what you're doing and like am i doing the same thing over and over and over and over again then probably it can be turned into an add-on, um, yeah. uh, especially if, if the context is easy to manage. That makes it makes it easier. But you definitely want to be to the point where you know, hopefully, in within a year or two, we're at the point where we start a new project and we just we just go grab our favorite picker, we grab our favorite you know data tables integration thing, we grab a you know a handful or a dozen add-ons, and that's what we start with. 
Yeah. And that takes care of all of that code that we used to have to either write from scratch or copy and paste in and have to fix it. And then we just, you know, then we do the stuff that's different for that solution. We, we define the data models we need. We connect them up, connect the relationships. We write the glue code that kind of sticks everything together. But you really want to get to an assembly approach. You just, the, the amount of every minute that you spend writing the same code over and over again, is just wasted. And it's not just about your time wasted. It's also the quality of the code is not as good because code only gets really good after it's been used. I mean, it's simple things, maybe not, but it's complex code. It just takes a while. People have to use it. You have to, you have to keep using it in different scenarios until you find out all the different edge cases. There's always edge cases and you'll have, you'll hit them and then you'll make it better and better. So eventually if you're building that way, if you're building these modules, those modules get really, really, really solid. So um, that's what definitely what we what we want to be doing. It seems like the quest to build things to be add-ons would make us a better coder, would would help us to build things in a more modular fashion. Yeah, sure. It, and is that is that quote better in the FileMaker world to build these, not just the reusability, but just even if I never built an add-on, so Could I take the mentality and be modular and be a better coder. If you have an environment that makes having things be reusable or, or portable easy enough, then mm-hmm. the definition of good programming would be to build in that way. Okay. So your code is better because it's portable. Okay. You can't take those two things apart, right? Because they're that the reason it's better is because it's portable because it's used more often in more places. That's why it's better. So if you write code that's designed to work that way, then by that definition, it's better. Now, especially in FileMaker, because of the hoops we'd have to jump through in the past to build modular code, you people, and my, I fell into this many, many times is you over abstract, you make things actually more complicated um, by making it modular, uh, and part of that is because FileMaker didn't have um, doesn't ha- didn't have an add-on component model. Like there was, mm-hmm. there's nothing that you know that would hold things together, right? The new add-ons are we're still early, so the only thing you can do is install them and uninstall them as a group. But that's that's just step one. The, you know, the idea is that eventually these will be you'll be able to maintain these these add-ons as a thing. Um, so once we have that, once we're really good at that, or we have that, how to do that down, then that will be the way that you should write. Uh, you know, again, there's different kinds of codes. So you can't say everything. The point is, is to, f- is to separate out the parts that are the same in many projects and those all become modules. Okay. And then okay. you have a lesser amount of code that you have to write to assemble an application from those pieces. So you're like taking those building blocks, you're building a little bit of custom scaffolding and you're kind of sticking them all together and making them work together. That's okay. really what you want to be doing. Uh, at the end of that, your 30 minutes and the, the stuff that um, Robert showed, we, we did some Q&A, some, some questions about that, about what you had demonstrated. It was you and actually I joined. <laughs> That's right. You were there at the end for the Q&A. Yeah, yeah. Robert and David McKee from Claris were, were all there. And we got some good questions about it. Um, one question that you mentioned someone asked you about add-ons was dealing with security. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you didn't get to share that on at, live, but what is what was the question about and what is the answer to your question? So it dealt with JavaScript specifically. The question was, oh. can I trust JavaScript, you know, um, 
in, uh, you know, this JavaScript from all from who knows where and I'm just going to put it into my app. Is that safe? And, and, you know, my, my answer is, well, it's not really about JavaScript. It's like, you're, you are putting a bunch of code in your file. Um, whether it's JavaScript or not, it's really secondary. You have to trust where that stuff is coming from. Um, you're going to need to do that. And that's going to be up to you to do that. Claris may put some kind of official security screening and pro- I have no idea whether they're going to do that in, inside the marketplace or not. But um, I think you would be not very wise to open an email that said, install this FileMaker add-on and, you know, <laughs> from some from somebody you didn't recognize. I think that would not be smart. Okay. Um, and so just like anything else like that, you should trust where that stuff is coming from. And you're going to have to trust the vendors uh, to do the job to make sure that that stuff is not is is not malicious in some way. Uh, on the JavaScript part of it, one thing to say about JavaScript is it's it's the most widely used programming language in the world. So there's not a lot of hidden security flaws that go unnoticed. Like when there's security issues, they come out and they're mm-hmm. pretty quick. People know about them. And it's built into the infrastructure. So when you're using GitHub or something like that to manage your code base, GitHub actually does security scans on your code. And it will it will tell you, hey, you need to make these changes because some security issues have been found in your in these modules or whatever and then you'll need to update those so um it's a good question and one you need to you you definitely need to understand what you're doing it's just not necessarily specific to javascript in fact javascript may may have better tools to manage it than you know just some i mean you could put some you could put some file maker code in and if you have the base elements plugin it happened to have the base elements plugin installed or if you put a plugin if you put an add-on in that installed the base elements plugin, which it could do, or any plugin that executed that allowed you to execute SQL, of which there are many, and you could start to, you could start to, uh, you know deleting tables in your solution. So okay. yeah, you definitely want to you want to know um, uh, you want to trust the people you're dealing with there. What what danger does JavaScript specifically have to a FileMaker table records fields? Not script? really JavaScript. So yeah, it's yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm fairly limited in my knowledge of JavaScript, but I don't didn't think there was a way it could change your the schema in any way of your. Well, if you have a plugin installed, just a, a file maker script, plugin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only way you could change schemas with a plugin. So, um, that, okay. and then they, if it runs a script that executes some SQL that uses a plugin, then you could do some damage. Uh, I know, and then you you could also do some sniffing. Oh. Uh, you could if you had a web viewer that was collecting a bunch of information from the database and just sending it off over the internet certainly could do that. Absolutely. So there are, these are things you need to, you need to know. And so therefore you're going to want to go with, with vendors who can be trusted. Otherwise, again, you don't want to be, you don't want to be installing things from people that you just met (laughs) or sent you an email from, from, from some, you know, faraway country. I know that, uh, uh, Stephen Delinsky and, and Stephen Blackwell, um, they did a, uh, white paper on. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It definitely should definitely so it's a good, good starting point to kind of see what the issues are. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to understand that it's not really a new thing. It's just, it's going to be more prevalent now. Sure. I, I mean, I have hundreds of files on my computer that I've downloaded from, you know, the community and various sites and, Potentially, if I were to have copied those scripts into my file, yeah, 
potentially I could be copying malicious code yeah. in there. So Absolutely. it's not, you're right. It's not new just because we have add-ons, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it's, we it's definitely easier though. So it's you definitely need to, it's definitely a good question. Okay. Um, so yeah. One other thing that's worth mentioning just on security and maybe pri two things, privacy and security. Uh, so web viewers could of course have trackers in them like they do throughout all the internet. So there's that. Okay. So people can, okay. can, you know, know when you're opening the add-ons and things. And the other one is that source code inside of a browser is not, um, it's not secure. Like if I want to see the code of any of the add-ons that are shipping, for example, that, that are running, I, I can see that code. Now it's often com compiled into things that are more difficult to, to, to see, but it's not done that way to keep you from seeing it. It's not obfuscated. The reason the code, it looks unreadable is because it's minified. So they want it to be smaller. So it executes faster, but nothing that goes loads in the browser is secure. It's all visible to anybody who's, who, who's running it. So you have to be aware of that. If you're building these things, you cannot have information in there that you need to keep secure. You can't put okay. it in that HTML code. So, yeah. So JavaScript can't attack your your accounts, your passwords, your. You'd have to use a script. You'd have to use a script. You'd have to run a script to do that. Yeah. Okay. But even those, so, those, so those script, by the, and also very importantly, the the security privileges that you have set up do apply, right? So if you have a JavaScript add-on running in a web viewer, and it runs a script, that script will that script will be under the same control that any other script in that you, you know, based on the user logging in has, right? So um, they will not be able to see tables that the user can't see. So there's no, it doesn't give them admin access to the file. There's, all your security privileges still apply to that web viewer. I wonder if there's anything that FM perception can help with in identifying you know, delete record script steps or, I mean, it can already, obviously, yeah. but, yeah. you know, I don't know, or add-ons, add-ons get ingested into the, your file and they're, they're in no way different than any of the other scripts that you've written. From That's right. That's right. right. So, um, they, well, there is some tagging behind this under the hood because it doesn't appear to show up in the XML currently. Okay. So currently FM perception cannot tell what is an add-on and what isn't. Now you could still, if you want, really wanted to tell, you could put it into an empty file and then look and you'd see yeah. everything. Right, yeah. and that's not that's not a a bad idea. Um, sure. If you're in a if you are in a security conscious environment, then that's probably worth doing. Yeah. Look at every every script that is that that has a uh, you know delete delete tables, you know truncate tables, uh, execute SQLs. Um, what else? I don't know. There's a lot. Change accounts. Whatever. You can mm -hmm. you can look at each of those scripts and find out what's being called. You also got asked about um, updating add-ons. How how do we do that? Right? Yeah. Currently, there's not a, there's not a mechanism to update it. So mm -hmm. um, you can delete and uninstall. You can uninstall it and then reinstall the new version. Um, that's the best we have. Uh, that depending on how the add-on is designed will either be a minor inconvenience or a major one. That just depends. Like if you if if your calendar, if you want to update the calendar and the calendar is on you know, two or three layouts. It's not a big deal. You just delete the calendar and put the new one in and put yeah. it back on a couple of layouts and you're, you're, you know, basically good to go. Uh, it just even, depends on the add-on as to how hard that would be. Even your picker that you demonstrated, it's modular enough that you could always delete. You're not deleting any of the 
data, even though it accesses right. data in your, your in yeah. your tables, you're not deleting those tables. No, that's right. If you remove it, hook up real quick. If, if you you'll be able to rehook it up real very quickly. That's right. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. You'll have so, everything already built. You just need to reconfigure the buttons using the new add-on, and that's it. I guess add-ons that are part of the Claris platform right now it consists of like a notes table, whatever, right? Um, yeah. And you would build that, and that's that. Those the data in there becomes part of your yeah. system. Yeah. And if you were to uninstall that, you obviously have the option to not remove the tables if you yeah. want, but you could potentially lose real data, not just right. sample data or whatever, that's right? right. That's so. Right. I think I, it's, I think it's less useful for like, hey, this is my notes table. Yeah, uh, this me too. is my you know contacts table, but not entirely. Like I can see, like I've even thought so. Was, uh, so we have this product LedgerLink, which has got I don't know a couple dozen tables. Could be an add-on. Could bring the whole thing in. Um, so that's not crazy. Like that might be worth doing. Um, so I think again, it's sort of like, you know, these, these are my favorite tables. I don't know, but if it's like a, you know, this is my, my CRM or my contact management system. And I want to bring that into this other system that might be worthwhile. It I seems like, have, I think we have, I don't think we have all the answers to this yet. We yeah. have to see how this plays out. Okay. Um, we have so, to see what becomes useful and what is just, you know, not useful. So we need to not be worried about it right now. Not until we actually see add-ons that are put out by people in the marketplace to see it. To me, it seems like there's two different types of add-ons. One that are like schema updates that change your schema, that add schema that becomes part of your data, like the notes one. There are other things like the add-ons like the picker or the calendar. Well, the picker, it accesses, it ac only accesses data. It doesn't actually make new records in right. existing tables, but the calendar can make new records in existing tables, yeah. right? So yeah. you kind of have to decide what you're going to do to update depending on the type of add-on it is. Um, yep. Yeah. So if, it, if, 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 if you install a notes add-on from somebody or from yourself because you don't want to build that a hundred more times, then that you have to consider that and not update that as frequently as you would the calendar or the picker add-on. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's, I mean, I think I don't want to be, be too dogmatic about this because we don't know, you know, a lot of this stuff, but um, you know, if you have just like a, like a notes field and a, and like a, like a rich text editor or something like that, I mean, that, I mean, I, that seems fine. Um, yeah. I don't know why you'd have it tied to a specific notes field though. I think like to me, if you're going to have a notes add on, like what are you, what are you really doing with the notes add on? I would think carefully about what I'm trying to do here. Am I trying to do a way to take, you know, uh, rich text and I'm just going to make a, I'm just going to get the rich text editor and use that on any field. Do I want to have notes, which also can have comments on them and those comments can notify the people who are participating and this is it more like a conversation and am I doing like a discussion around it? Well then maybe you have a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of logic wrapped around that and maybe you can make it fairly portable. Okay. Um, and so you bring the whole thing in, maybe make a couple of low code, like, you know, setups to get it hooked up to your system and you're good to go. 
Um, it's, it's the other thing is the other thing is you can eject, right? You can also just decide uh, this is how I'm bringing it in. But as you said, you can go in and say uninstall and then say, leave everything yeah. at that point, it will no longer be part of an add on. It'll just be your code. So, I mean, there's that too, that you could try. So I think it's going to be, I think in, what I can say in general is look at building things more modularly. You'll be happier. Mm-hmm. Um, look for ways to make uh, code that you would normally just be copying and pasting into add-ons. You'll be happier. Uh, and then we'll see where those boundaries lie because I just don't, I don't know exactly where they're going to be yet. What, what, I'm just curious, what would you rather do? Do the pro code side all the time or the no code side and just plop in add-ons, connect dots and move on? What would you rather do? Um, it depends on, it depends on, I guess I made a joke about the time of the day. Is it no, is it no <laughs> o'clock yet? Um, it just depends on what I'm doing. Like certainly there's a challenge that I enjoy about doing, d- doing pro code. But to me, part of that challenge has always been to make it easier for people to use whatever it is that I'm doing. That's always been the greatest challenge mm-hmm. was, to, was to take something that is hard and make it easier. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if I'm, but if I have a job to do, if I have a task that needs doing, that's going to require some kind of coding. Give me the closest to the no end as you can do, because that's what I. That's I need to make progress quickly. I'm not, you know, I don't. I'm not trying to. <laughs> I, you, when you're when you're the uh, when you're the owner of the business, and you're you know and you're into programming, you learn. I wish I'd learned it quicker. Maybe that there's a difference between trying to get, keep your business running and writing code <laughs> and you shouldn't try to mix them. It's very tempting to right. say, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to learn a whole bunch of new techniques and run and automate my business. Um, that is, you're going to, you're going to have some challenges there. <laughs> All right. Well, know, mixing, m- mixing business and pleasure maybe is the thing there. <laughs> What was the third question that someone had specifically asked you about? Um, well, one was that some people are worried that Claris, now that we can build all these JavaScript add-ons, that Claris will stop investing in user interface stuff. I just don't believe that's true. Um, and uh, I got no indication in any of the conversations that I've been in that, that that is true. So I don't think people need to worry about that. I think some people do. I think some people think that this whole JavaScript and add-on thing was a way for for Claris just to get rid of having to improve the UI in FileMaker. And that's just not true. So we can see no evidence that that's the case. I was wondering about that too. Like, would they take stuff that they see that's really popular, that's really the low code-ish it can be, and just adopt that as an add-on into their platform? Well, they've done that before. So the answer is certainly yes. Okay, yeah. Um, It depending on, you know, yeah. I mean, they have a calendar now, right? So as part of the add-ons, we've seen yeah. it many times. It'll be out sometime soon. So I guess the question that, and it's a rightful question, but do you think Claris would ever come back and go, you know what? We're just going to actually build a calendar into yeah, the product. They might. They might. They might. They might. Hmm. Calendars are pretty common. Uh, but I mean, I, this has already happened to me once. We had GoSign out before Signature Capture was in FileMaker okay. Go. We had a year before. And so they came and added signature capture. Um, you know, external container storage is basically super container from 360 works. So, okay. I mean, yeah, this, they do this all the time. And that's, it's kind of the risk. Um, if you're a product 
development company that that'll happen to you. Um, mm-hmm. so, but you just have to know that going in and you just have to, if you don't know that, if you don't, if you don't know that at any moment, if your if your product makes almost, if it makes too much sense to be in the core that it's going to get in the core, um, you have to just yeah. know that's the way it's going to be. Um, and I don't think it's an issue because it's, it's just, it's never been an issue for me. GoSign. In fact, what we did with GoSign is we just raised the price on GoSign and we added a couple of features, which aren't in the native option. So we just basically said, well, it used to be, I think originally it was like $69 when it came out and it, you know, basically they came in with the native implementation in GoSign. And so we added a bunch of other things and then, you know, raised the price. Um, and I think that's what 360 works there with Supercontainer too. And that's fine. You kind of did this to yourself too, because we have Barcode Creator as a product yeah. now and you built one for the add-ons, yeah. right? So yeah. You did this to yourself this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So barcodes, it's not a hundred percent overlap. Um, yeah. there's some symbologies that neither one that they both don't do. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, uh, we just didn't have the time. I mean, I don't know what, maybe we'll, we'll go more, we'll, we'll do more stuff with barcode creator. I'm not sure yet. We're kind of waiting to see okay. exactly what'll come out there, but I'm sure we'll do something with barcode creator and, maybe adding JavaScript or adding, you know, what you got to do is add, you have to add more features, right? You have to go, you know, you have to do things that are, um, that add more value than, than what comes out of the box. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So your your second session was about add-ons as well. You kind of just spoke all about Yeah, we pretty much talked about all why, why they're important. Yeah. But yeah, it's all about why modules matter. You, um, during that, that, that panel, you mentioned uh, something that I've been working on, and uh, I just wanted to kind of get that out there as yeah. well. So, you and you both, you and Chris mentioned learning JavaScript. Yeah. And somebody had asked during the first panel, um, "Is it is add-ons good place to learn JavaScript?" I um, answered that no, they're not a good place to learn JavaScript. Yeah. We've already we've already seen that from people in ETS that are interested in learning what we what 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 we did. But the add-ons themselves are not good places to learn JavaScript, right? That's right. They're they're, they're um, compiled into yeah. uh, efficient, effective code that runs across all platforms, and it's not it's not readable. Um, not not where you learn. So so. The question then was posed, where do you learn JavaScript? What do you learn? And both you and Chris and I had mentioned earlier that we are working on sort of a, a JavaScript learning path. Mm-hmm. And this was is in the works before Engage, Claris Engage, but hopefully will be out very soon in that we're, we're identifying parts of the JavaScript language that would give us the most success right now in FileMaker. Right. Um, I call it the JavaScript learning path. And as Chris interestingly pointed out, I didn't even think of this, but this is this was my path of learning. This wasn't some professional JavaScript person's path. It was me, just an average FileMaker developer learning JavaScript enough to be able to speak on it a few times and develop, you know, some of the some of the products and add ons that that we built. So This this learning path is just identifies parts of of the JavaScript language that we should focus on. Like every day when we build an add-on that uses JavaScript, we're probably going to need to reconfigure the data. I call it in some way. Sometimes the library needs it, 
in two different arrays that you know correspond element per element. And so we have to take the the uh, the the result of the execute FileMaker data API script step, and we have to reconfigure the data in a certain way. Yeah. So we use the JavaScript functions to do that. Those JavaScript functions like map or for each, those are the things that we should focus on right now, right? Yeah, I think it definitely helps to have, um, you know, an anchor to build your knowledge on something you already know. So anytime you can do that, it definitely, it definitely helps um, build on, you know, building on what you know, as opposed to just starting kind of in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always been my point. You could take a course on JavaScript from anybody mm -hmm. and you'll probably learn a lot, but you may miss stuff that you need in FileMaker right now. Um, or you may not see the connections between what we do with it. So anyway, yeah. this learning path stuff, I've actually presented it at the Kentucky FileMaker user group, and I think I'm going to talk about it at another user group coming up. Um, but hopefully we'll get it out uh, soon with a bunch of practices and a suggested learning path, a thing that you could either learn from me or from Wes Boss or you know Kent C. Dodds about these things in JavaScript, which will be useful. So, yeah, I think, I think it'll be super helpful. Uh, it's always been a struggle for me to tell people, people that always ask me like, well, where do I go learn? And you know, that it was for me, learning was, it was just, it just took, it just, you know, first of all, it was a while ago and it was, I mean, I guess really most of it, if I think, if I'm honest about it, if I think back and really think about the first serious JavaScript that I wrote, was either a node API, so connecting node to like FileMaker and writing like API servers or like probably GoSign was the first like JavaScript, serious JavaScript that I wrote for um, that certainly made any money, which was, you know, that, that was a JavaScript based add-on for FileMaker, if you will, before there were add-ons. And so I definitely focused on that and, um, you know, but there, there weren't, I didn't have materials. I don't have materials for that. Right. I just yeah. figured it out. Right. So there's never been like, nobody's, I think as far as I know, you're the first person to like go through and just really try to put together, um, a, a core curriculum with the materials to go through, which is super yeah. helpful. You know, for me, I just kind of had, I just dug out like, said, <laughs> okay, well, how am I going to, how am I going to, do, how am I going to get this large, you know, parameter back into FileMaker mm -hmm. and it comes back, it's not working. Oh, I figured out it has to be URI, URI encoded, learn that. And it just was a lot of trial and error, but there was nobody writing. There were, there were, there were no manuals of how to write JavaScript for FileMaker. Right. Um, and so this is kind of like, you know, your, your effort is really like the first one um, that is, I think is extensive and, and really covers, you know, uh, the, the state of the art. Uh, of course, it's going to be changing as we know. Yeah. Uh, this stuff will be changing rapidly, but this is a this is a good, very good representation of where things are now and what you need to know. So it's super helpful because if you don't have that, you're just thrashing around, which is kind of what I did. I just thrashed around for years. I, when, when we were working on the add-ons, I thrashed around because I realized I did need to reconfigure this data for the Kanban board. And so I learned about the map function and I yeah. really got what it does and what I can do with it. So, and I learned, you know, how to um, re 
remake an object, you know, or configure the object a little bit a different way that Kanban needed. So that was, you know, I must say that was the most fun and the most hair pulling time and the most swearing at you time that I've ever had because you were like, we don't want to let people, we want to keep this as low code as possible. So all the data needs to do, you just need to send it a found set of tasks and the tasks can each record in the task contains what lane it goes in. And you use JavaScript to sort these into lanes by the sort order, right? Of, yeah. of each record. So Which is right. that was, that's a great point. It's like you, yeah. you made that easier. Yeah. So you, what, you know, whether another way to think about low code maybe is less code, right? So you made it, you made it possible for people who use that add on to have to write less code. Yeah. Which is really great. That's I like mean, the key thing. Our product Kanban has a very complicated script about getting all of the records in, in a task found set into the proper lanes. And you challenged me to push that into JavaScript. So yep. I had to learn those JavaScript skills, which kind of pushed this light bulb in my head, light bulb in my head that says, hey, I need to learn about map. Everybody, every FileMaker developer who spends time in JavaScript is going to eventually manipulate data. So let's learn about the map function or the yep. for each function or filter or whatever. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's going to be out very soon. I'm going to, you know, hopefully in the, a week after this is posted, we'll, we'll have something out there, even if it's just a introductory blog post on our site. So, so that was fun. Um, yeah. You, you always do that to me. You mention stuff that I'm working on to the public <laughs> and I have to quickly finish it up and get it done. But no, that's, I, I'm, I, I like that. I liked hearing that. So. <laughs> well, Claris Engage was a lot of fun. We um, had some good times with it and, you know, it was different, but I really enjoyed this time. I really want to go to San Diego next year. I yeah. want to be away from my dogs. I want to <laughs> spend nights in a hotel and hang out by the pool. So yeah, this, I hope this doesn't become permanent because, <laughs> you know, um, I did, I did eat poorly while I engaged. Yeah, so it was just kind of like engage, you know, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> but all right, good. Well, I think, uh, we're, we're good for now. Uh, I do want to come back and talk with you about, and I think we'll get Jordan Watson on to talk about that low code, no code, pro code thing, sure. um, get that clarified and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about add-ons as they finally get released. Um, and I guess, you know, we'll have a super technical episode where you and I just walk through the entire process, every line of JavaScript that we wrote <laughs> for each of the add-ons. How's that sound? Yeah. I think we're going to bore people to tears. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think people will like that. We'll, a, lot we'll, we'll see. a lot of code. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, right. Todd. Thanks, talk Jeremy. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Context Podcast. Be sure and check out the Claris Academy for mine and other on-demand sessions. And review the opening keynote and Todd's session and panel about JavaScript and add-ons. We'll be back next week with a super detailed, highly technical, engaging, and riveting episode of the Context Podcast.